If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. It's also in your worship folder, your message notes. Uh, a little verse of scripture, and then if you have your Bibles, I'm going to kind of go through a few more verses than just that these, but um, so you can keep it open in Isaiah on the 43rd chapter. But um, here's the words of Isaiah, quoting our Lord, God. Forget the former things, verse 18 and 19 of Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I love the, the new, the new living translation. Um, it says, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Just forget about the past. Not even close to what I'm going to do. A while back, I was, um, meeting with a, a pastor friend of mine, a young guy who had a lot of transition in his life. He was a, um, an athlete in high school and college. Pretty good, pretty good athlete, star, really. Um, had a good job, good vocation that he was going into, and then God messed his whole life up and called him into the ministry. Just hate when that happens. And um, he served in a church for a while, and then the, the pastor, the senior pastor was leaving, the lead pastor was leaving, and there's a lot of change going on in the church. And he was kind of questioning, what's my future? What do I do? And he had some opportunities, and I was kind of praying with him and others. We were wrestling with, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? And, and he, had a, he had a great opportunity. And through all that wrestling with God, he just said, you know what? I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be where I'm at. I'm going to stay here. And um, about two months later, the pastor came to his office and said, yeah, we're terminating your position, and you will no longer be with us at, by the end of the month. And he was devastated. He was just like, Phew. the good news is an opportunity opened up to him almost immediately that I think is a better opportunity than what he was in, and God is using that and, and opening doors and teaching him, and it's all turning out good. But for a while there, it was this devastation of, I feel so devalued. I feel like maybe I miss God's voice and God's call. Maybe I should just go back into business. I don't know. You know, I didn't know if anybody was ever going to want to have anything to do with me. Amy just goes through all this. As he's talking to me, when you get my age, it doesn't take much for me to cry. I'm crying with him. Just, oh man, you know. And then when he talks about the new thing that he has going on, I'm laughing with him and we're just rejoicing how God redeems some of the toughest things of life and makes them even better. And um, I said, so what, you know, what you learn through all this? And he goes, I'm glad you, glad you asked. Said, you know, on Facebook, how they have these timelines, and you're supposed to put the highlights of your, of your life on the timeline. He goes, if, if I were to look at my highlight line, the highlight of, of my life, what I, would, what I would name my highlight is this, yet to come, yet to come. What I found out is God always has the highlight yet to come. The best is yet to come. And that's what I hang on to. And I, and I thought, I'm so, I am so proud of you. I mean, he could have gone so many different ways. He could have got bitter and hurt and mad and angry and depressed and dejected and could have treated other people. But, you know, I mean, he could have gone such a different route. But instead to stop and say, you know what? I just see God working even when I didn't know he was working. That I'm all, I, even now, after a good life so far, best is yet to come.
as I listened and rejoiced with him, you know, I, 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 my head was kind of going back and I got thinking about my own self and, and I just found myself kind of zoning out and I, I started thinking, oh, to be young again. Oh, to be able to just be like this guy and look at my timeline and say, God, the best is yet to come. Oh, to be, oh, to have all your life and future out in front of you. And this is where I was surprised. I heard the whisper of God, very distinct, very clear. It said, Don, this is for you, too. The best is yet to come. I, I, I argued with God about that all day. No. God, I'm kind of, I'm getting kind of old. I'm kind of crippled up. I feel like I'm a little stale at times. I wonder if I'm relevant anymore. Uh, there's, there's so many other better people you can use and do. And he, he just would not let up. The best is yet to come. I tell you that because I think that's the whisper of God for a lot of you this morning. Your best is still yet to come. I tell you that because as a church, I think that's true. I think it's true for one community. The best is yet to come. Isaiah, forget all the former things. They're nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Away in the desert, streams in the wasteland. If you go back in, in the context of this verse of scripture, I'll do a little prologue with you before we just kind of focus on this. The, um, the Israelites are, have found themselves in, in a time of history called the Babylonian captivity or the Babylonian exile. If you know about history, you know, there, there's Egypt when they're in bondage and slavery. There's the Exodus. They go into the promised land. There's judges. There's kings. Then there's King David. That's when it was good. That's, as the apex of, of their history and of their kingdom at that time. And then it just goes whew, off the edge. And they split in two. There's a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom dissipates pretty quickly. The southern kingdom gets taken off into captivity into Babylon. And they're, they're there for almost as long as they were in Egypt in, in this exile. And they're, they're longing for liberation. They're longing for deliverance. They're longing to go home. They're longing to be free. God, how could you allow this to happen to us again? We're your people. Please help. Please do something. And it's during this time period that most of the prophets speak directly to them. Isaiah, in this case. Usually it's words of, of either warning or judgment, but often words of encouragement and hope and deliverance. And here in Isaiah, you hear these words. So if you, if you look a little bit earlier in that chapter... In verse 14 of chapter 43 of Isaiah, Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says. And he, and he, he, he specifically names the Lord. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. In other words, this is the God who's going to take what this mess is and redeem it. Turn it upside down, turn it for, and use it for his glory. Here's what your Redeemer says. And then he quotes God. For your sake, I will send to Babylon. And bring down his fugitives, all the Babylonians, in the ships in which they took pride. 
The Babylonians were a strong army. They had a navy as well, and they were pretty proud of their navy. And God says, what they think is their strength, I'm just going to, I'm going to, they're going to be, they're going to be running away in their strength. (laughs) I'm going to just wipe them out. And then he says, I am the Lord your God, Israel's creator, your king. And this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through a sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses and armies, the army and reinforcements together, and, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. He, he brings to their recollection the Red Sea when they were getting out of, the, out of Egypt in the Exodus. Remember, he says, remember how I was there and you thought you had your backs to the wall, the men and we were coming in, the Red Sea in front of you, and Moses stuck out his rod and the seas parted, and on dry land, the Israelites, your forefathers, went, went free and through that, unharmed. And then you remember when Pharaoh and his chariots went after them, and I just closed the waters up and snuffed them out like a wick. Remember that? Well, forget that. Forget that. Forget that. That's like the greatest miracle in the history of the Jews. Forget that. Everyone tells them to remember that. Remember what I did. Remember how I delivered you. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. And now he just says, ah, forget that. Forget that. Why? Because what I'm going to do for you is going to eclipse even that. Forget the things of the past. Don't dwell on those. I'm doing a new thing the idea is, what I'm doing, you don't even realize it right now. So he says, hey, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for the new thing. Because you might miss the new thing if all you're doing is looking at the old thing. And we think, wow, the old thing. A lot of us, we always throw our old, you know, we made bad choices. We are broken. We had sin. We had, you know, we did stupid stuff. And so God, you know, I, I, I know I shouldn't look at the past. He's saying, don't look at the, don't look at the good thing God did because you're going to miss the new good thing God's going to do. Here's what's interesting about the past. We can learn from the past. We're supposed to learn from the past, study the past, study history, but we don't live in the past. Learn from it. Don't live. We, we, we can love the past. There's a lot about history that tells us things about God, how faithful he is and what he's done in the past and and we, we remember the, the times of, of nostalgia of the past, if you will. In fact, often the Bible would tell the, the children of Israel, build an altar to remember what God's done. There's something about that. You know, he, he did a great miracle, so build an altar there so you'll never forget that. We, we love that past. But if we long only for the past and not long for the new thing that God's going to do, we, we might miss it. We can't box God up into, this is the way he is, this is the way he always was, so he's only like that when he's got something brand new out there that he's going to do. And we we long, give us something fresh, give us something new. Don't stop now, God, what do you you have for us? The the past is important. There are times when the prophets or the people of of, uh, the judges or whatever would call Israel back to, to certain things, especially to God's truth, God's word. They would, they would have it, they'd be kind of flittering off after false gods and chasing off after idols and be doing things on their own in their own way. And, and God, and, and God would say, hey, come back because there are some things that never change. 
There's the truth of God. There's the word of God. You've got to stick with the, the, the way that God's revealed himself. In fact, if, if you don't, you're going to, you're really going to miss it. You're going to mess up. Come back to the truth. I, I always hang on those things of God which never change. But if we think his timeless truths and his timeless promises and his timeless changes are only clothed like they once were, we miss it. He, he clothes his truth new and fresh over and over and over again. And he, he tells us that still the best is yet to come. So the past is something that, that is important and, and often the Old Testament tells it, tells it, remember it. But don't live there. Don't long to stay in the past because you might miss what the future is in front. He says instead, look, see. One version says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. This is not like, it's not like a suggestion. It's not like, uh, well, I just want you to consider that maybe God can do something new. You know, I, so I, maybe have you ever thought about that, that life's not, you know, God can do something again. No, this is not just a suggestion. This is, hey, look, behold, you know, it's look up in the sky. It's birds, plane. No, it's God. He is doing something. He's doing something. Can't you see it? And, and the idea is you're going to miss it. You have no idea. The implication is God's, he's busy at work. He's, he's about right now preparing a pathway in, in this wasteland. And you're going to miss it because your eyes are so much on the past that you can't see the new thing. I'm making a way in the desert for you. I'm bringing streams in this wasteland for you. Liberation, deliverance is yours. Don't miss it. Well, as you, as you kind of look at that, I think what I draw from that is, is this. So often in our lives, we have a tendency to look at God through a rearview mirror and not through a windshield. If you drive and all you do is look in your rearview mirror, you're going to either, at best, you're going to go in circles, but probably going to crash. Now, the rearview mirror is there for a reason, and there's some good reasons to look in the rearview mirror. But the windshield is so much better, and there's so much more out there. And that's where you're going through the windshield. And, and some, some of us forget that, that God is, is out there. He's not just back there. He works differently for different needs. He worked differently in the New Testament church than he works now. He worked differently in 1900 and the 14th century and 1950 and 1990. He worked different. There are different needs in people. 2010, he was even different than 2017. He's always doing something different to reach who we are because he's a creative God. He's the, he's the originator. He's up there thinking all the time, what's another way I can get these people through the crisis they're in and on their way? So let's be, let's be windshield people, not rearview mirror people. Because God's about doing a new thing. And the best is yet ahead for you. He's always been about a new thing. He was about a new thing in Isaiah. He's about a new thing with Messiah. In Messiah's day. Here's a, here's the interesting thing about when Jesus came to this earth. This one little statement says in, in the New Testament, He came to His own and His own received Him not. 
I mean, what? His own people couldn't see who he was. They received him not. Now, there's a list of reasons that they, they didn't see Jesus for being Jesus. But I think one of the main ones is that they just, their expectations were different. They were looking in the rearview mirror. They expected God to act a certain way, come in a certain way. And when Jesus all of a sudden is telling them, I'm not here to destroy your enemies. I'm here to teach you to love your enemies. I'm not here to, to take over. I'm telling you that the, the, the greatest among you is a servant. I'm telling you that, that I'm here to serve, not to, I, I'm not coming in on a stallion. I'm coming in on a donkey. I mean, their expectations were just blown away. The scribes who just went through the word of God searching for how God's going to act were thrown completely off track because their expectations were only of what God does in the past rather than what God is doing before them. The Pharisees, we think, are pretty lousy people, and, and Jesus kind of bopped them on the top of the head on more than one occasion because they were hypocrites, but they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty important people. They, they got back to the word of God, to the law of God, to the tradition of God, to the doctrines of God at a very important time because there was this group called the Sadducees that were kind of leaning to the, to the outside of, of faith. They no longer believed in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any of the spiritual realm. So here's the Sadducees. No miracles, no resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. But and and here come the Israelites, and the Israelites are saying, or, or come the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are saying, no, let's bring this back to the law of God. If we get back to what God's all about, we're not going to go off on this tangent that they're taking us. And and Jesus, in fact, in one time, Matthew twenty three one says, um, what they teach, what the Pharisees teach, do that. Just don't do what they do. They're hypocrites, but they they're teaching the right thing. But here's the thing: they knew the law. They knew the letter of the law. They just didn't know the power of the Spirit. They knew their Bible. But here's God in flesh standing in front of them, and they miss them. They knew their Bible. They didn't know God. They were as religious as you couldn't get, and they couldn't see Jesus standing in front. And it's not like they just barely missed him. It's not like, oh, boy, we missed that. I can't. I didn't see that one coming. No, they looked at Jesus, Son of God, Divine made flesh standing right before them and called him Beelzebub. You're demon possessed. And on the crucifixion. I mean, they missed it so badly because they couldn't catch that God was doing a new thing and what it looked like. God does something new in Pente- at Pentecost. If you have a, your Bibles, you can turn to the second chapter of Acts. And um, there's a there's a group of Christians that are in a little upper room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be new from what it was before. And when the day of Pentecost comes, there's, it's a feast in Jerusalem and there's Jews from all over the world that gather because they're God-fearing, they're believers of, of God, and they're here to feast. And all of a sudden, a mighty wind starts blowing. Sound of a mighty wind, like a, like a tornado or a hurricane. And the whole house is filled and and with the Holy Spirit, and, and there's like fires that drop down on everybody's head, and, and they come out with boldness and power, and they start speaking in, 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 a, in a language they don't even understand, and they go out into the, 
into the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in every language. And everyone that's there hears it in their own language and they're amazed. People by the hundreds and the thousands start coming to faith in Jesus. And um, in verse 5, all these God-fearing Jews from every nation, when they heard the sound, it says they were bewildered. And they were then utterly amazed in verse 7. They were saying, how is it? In verse 8, how, how can this even be? Verse 12, they were amazed. They were perplexed. What does this mean, they are asking? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much to drink. They've had too much wine. These guys are crazy. They're drunk. And then Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd and says this, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he says, he quotes Joel from the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There's, there's not going to be any special people. Everybody's open to the spirit. Men, women, servant, master, Jew, Gentile, on, you can just go through the whole thing, young, old, there's no generational gap. I'm doing something new. The Spirit is coming for everybody. And what you read about all you Jews who fear God, who are in the synagogue learning and teaching, you, you learned that one of these days, Joel prophesied one of these days is going to happen. What that was all about, this is happening now. Here it is. God's doing a new thing. And you might miss it. You're bewildered, you're amazed, you're scratching your head. God's doing a new thing, and it's never going to be the same. The best is yet to come because His Spirit now upon every believer will march across this world and make a difference. The light of God will shine through the believers called the church. And then the church starts, in, and He starts doing a new thing in the apostolic area, era, in the, in the church era. <clears throat> all of a sudden, all these people are, are marching for Jesus, and people are coming, and not only just the Jews now are coming to Jesus, the Gentiles are. And by the boatload, hundreds, thousands of them coming to Jesus. And they're coming into the churches and the Jews are going, who? Who are these people? They're not like us. What do we need to do to make them like us? Because if we're going to be in a church together, they got to be like us, right? And they, they say, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what. If they keep our feasts, if they keep our dietary laws, and if the men get circumcised, we're good. Now, how many of you would like to go to a newcomer's class and hear that that's how you join a church? It'd be all women, for one thing. It's like, we've got to become Jews in order to become Jesus followers? you got to be kidding me. And they start arguing like crazy because they're not like us. We want them like us. And Peter stumbled over this until God finally gave him a vision of all the food, all the animals, even what he thought was unclean, being revealed to him from heaven. And God saying, hey, what I've made is clean. You can eat. It's, it, you don't call it unclean. It's clean. And he starts to, to struggle with this. He stumbles over and over. And he starts arguing with the Judaizers that come into the church now. The Judaizers are a bunch of little nitpicky going, rah, rah, rah. They, they're not like us. What are we going to do? They haven't, you know, they haven't even, they've been, I saw a ham sandwich at the fucking on the, they're just going on and on about what are we going to do? And even Barnabas, who's the encourager, Barnabas, the encourager, <clears throat> excuse me, stumbles over this. Finally, Paul says, you know what? You guys 
Spend the rest of your life arguing this thing over. If you want to stay in Jerusalem and, and, and be hamless, that's all, that's, that's up to you. That's, that's fine with me. But I'm going to go reach the world for Jesus and we're going to Antioch and that's going to be the launching point of the church and the center of church began not in Jerusalem from there, but to Antioch and it went into Asia Minor and to Asia and to Europe. And now in 2017, we sit in Santan Valley, believers in Jesus Christ, because Paul was able to recognize that God is doing a new thing. And the best was yet to come. Still in God's kingdom. All throughout church history, there's, there's these things called revivals, renewals, reformations, restorations, awakenings, reawakenings, the great awakening. God always doing a new thing and a new thing and a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. Every time it's the religious people having trouble with it because they think God should just be the way he's always been. He was that way for grandma and grandpa and great grandma and grandpa. He was that. And it's always the religious people going, what? What is this? God's saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. It's a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. And a new thing. So that always God's at work. And in fact, it's not that he might be doing another work. He is doing another work. Can we catch it? Can we see it? Can we perceive it? No matter what our circumstances tell us. Are you ready for a new work? A new thing? Because the best is yet to come. Well, when I dealt with this in my life, being a preacher, I came up with three D's. You know, you always got to have the same letter for some reason. Because that's the way it always has been. You know, I <clears throat> wish he would do something new in the way I do sermons. But there's three D's for you that I came up with, and, and maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll be in your life as well. The first one is a, is a new determination. If God is doing a new thing, if God if the best is yet ahead for me, I need a new determination to my calling. A new determination to who God's called me to be, what he, what my purpose is, what I'm all about, and, and the person that I am. I need a new... De- because it's so easy to just start to coast. It's so easy to start to slide. It's so easy to get a hardened shell. It's so easy to get in love with so many other things in this world. It's so much easier to start focusing more on the sin than on the Savior. It's so much... There's so many, we all get hurt, we get, we get offended, we get bypassed, we, we have all kinds of stuff that happens. So we get old, <laughs> and it's like, I'm too tired, I don't want to do this, I've already done this. And I, if God's going to do a new thing, if he has it, I just, I have a new determination, God. you got something that my best is still yet ahead, sign me up today for that. I'm, I'm all for that. I want, I want freshness of you. And you go, well, I, you know, I don't even know what my calling is. I'm not sure what my purpose is. Well, it, just take it a little more simple. It might be the husband that you are, the wife that you are. Be a godly husband or wife. And you're going, you don't know, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know our marriage. We've tried. You don't know everything we've been through. We've gone counseling and counseling and counseling and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. There's no more hope for us. We're just kind of, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm burnt out. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. Uh, go through the whole list. And I, I just tell you, I hear you. You ought to just give up. You ought to just give I'm tired of trying to keep your marriage together. 
Except. Except. God's doing a new thing. And God can do a new thing. And you can do a new thing in both of you. You can do a new thing in your heart. You go, our marriage is great, so what about us? Your marriage can be even better. Because he's got a new, it's always better when you can do a new thing in you. I'm tired. Our kids, I, I'm, they're, you know, they make wrong choices and dumb choices and uh, I'm, you know, I'm desperate for them. I'm anxious for them. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of chasing. I, uh, I'm just ready to throw up my hands. I'm, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I don't blame you. I haven't even met your kids, but I'd say give up on them. There's no hope for them. Except, except the best is yet to come in their faith and in their life. It's just around the corner. God's doing a new thing. Don't give up. It might be in your life. You might be just tired and worn out. You might come to a detour or to a dead end. And, and God's calling is to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to be his child. And you're saying, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know he can ever use me again. Yeah, he can. Because the best is yet to come. He's doing a new thing. He constantly does a new thing. It might be this church. You know, church, you just go in and church and it gets tough and, you know, you've been at it for a while and, oh, we tried everything and, you know, I remember back when, you know, and Pastor Mark was here and we did this and we met here and we had this. And well, the rear view mirror looks pretty good sometimes. It looks better all the time as past, as time goes by. But the, the windshield, the windshield is even bigger because God's not done with you yet. Now, if he comes in and says he's done, if he, if he just goes to your lampstand and goes, then give up, quit. But until that day, your calling hasn't ended. And the best is yet to come. Determined to be the church one community is called to be in this community. Because he's not done with you. Second thing, second D is discipline. It's one thing to just say, God's got this thing, but I've got to discipline myself. To, to his calling and to his new thing in me. It, it, he doesn't just sit back and, and do it all. I it'd be, it's like, I, I, you know, I've got this great vision of being healthy and in shape, you know, um, which means not quite so many Twinkies. And, and every now and again, I got to exercise because no matter, I can have all the vision of health I want, but if I don't discipline myself to it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't come. And same way spiritually. If God's going to do a new thing in your life and in my life, there needs to be a discipline in His Word. A discipline spending time in prayer. Whether it's just a few minutes each day, wake up in the morning and open your Bibles for 15 minutes and read through and have an open blank piece of paper and say, God, just speak to me and start writing down. What is, it, what is the new thing you're teaching me? What is the new thing you're trying to get me to do? Or what are you, what are you trying to build within me? But, but you discipline yourself because God, God's not going to speak. He's not going to whisper to you outside of his word. But you start into that word, he starts to speak in ways that will blow you away. Third D is, is to be more daring. I want to be more daring in my life. Um, when, I, when I start to lose vision of who God is and what he wants to do, I, I no longer want to step out in faith. I just pull back. I'm like a turtle. I just pull my head back in the shell. And think, I, I don't know that I want to trust him anymore. Uh, you know, I know what he did back then, but I don't think he can do it anymore. I, 
I think he, I, I think I used up all the grace. I think I've used up all the miracles. Used up all God's power. He's on empty after me. There's no more for me ahead. And, and I need to be more daring. I need to, I need to step out. I had somebody ask me one time, <clears throat> we were talking about, what would you like to do? I'm, I'm a state pastor of the Church of God at area churches that we're part of. And so I, I'd love for us to be able to plant a couple more churches before I go to heaven. And, uh, they said, well, you tell me, I started listening to what we could do, what we couldn't do, why we could do it, why we can't do it. He finally just says, so how come you're not doing it? And I, I started blah, 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 blah. And he just said, what are you afraid of, God? What are you afraid of? Like, afraid? Let me tell you. Let me tell you how courageous I was. And I started listing my, you know, accomplishments or whatever they are. And, uh, he goes, you don't think God can do that again? You don't, you planted a church before, personally, you don't think God can do that with it collectively? You think God can't do the impossible? You think God can't provide resources? You think, God, you, and he just, and, and he's absolutely right. I don't want to dare anymore. What's God calling you to do? What's God calling this church to do and to be? What, what, what would you dare to be? According to your faith, be it unto you, God says. Dare to step out. Because he's, he's doing a new thing. And the best is yet to come. I just know as, as we close this service that, that that whisper of God, for some of you, is, a, is, is at least a, a whisper, but for some of you it's a shout. For some of you it's a nudge. For some of you, you may have to wrestle all day like I did. But God wants you to know the best is yet to come. And if that's true, what does that mean for you? What do you need to determine to do? What do you need to discipline yourself to do? What would you dare to do if God said, come on, let's go. I've got more. Let's bow our heads. As we sing this last song, I pray that God's Spirit would continue to whisper to you and speak to you, that you would respond. But Lord, I thank you for one community. I thank you for each person here. Thank you for the calling on this place. Thank you for the calling on the men and the women in this place. And I thank you for your spirit that speaks truth to us. This, this truth that has been for generations passed on. That we, we, we bask in a God who does the impossible and the new. And you take what's dead and make it alive. You take what's stale and make it fresh. You take what's not there and fill it to overflowing. And I pray that your spirit would pour out like it did on Pentecost. That men, women, children, rich, poor, slave, owners, young and old, all people would be filled with the newness of God through your spirit, Jesus Christ.